everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Father Tenboom, God's Man, by Corey Tenboom, with permission of Lighthouse Trails Publishing and the Tenboom Foundation. And we are on Chapter 9, The Extended Vision. The four years that William and his family spent in Maud were ones of fiery trial, but the hour of deliverance came. A call from Zulin, a picturesque little place only a few miles from the city of Yultrak. Here, with a university a short distance away, William had opportunities for further study, for which the church allowed him one day a week. William's vision began to extend far beyond the limits of the quiet, distinguished village of Zulin. We will not stay here too long, he said to Teen at their inauguration. The missionary bug has bitten me. The seeds planted in his heart during the missionary conferences he attended during his teenage years and during the visits of many missionaries who came to the Tin Boom family began to bear fruit. And one subject began to fascinate him in particular, Israel. The Turning Point Teen, listen to this. Looking up from her cooking, Teen noticed the excitement in William's eyes as he came into the kitchen, waving a magazine. This is very interesting, he continued. The Society for the Defense of Christian Religion has announced a competition calling for a written study on the subject of anti-Semitism in Europe. Look, Teen, this is something that interests me. It may mean very little for my pastoral work, and it will not bring in any money, but the subject fascinates me. I'd like to give all my spare time to such a study. Teen needed no further persuasion. She encouraged him at once. From then on, William's visits to the university became more and more frequent. As his study progressed, he said to Teen, I was captivated by the subject of anti-Semitism from the start, but now I am really getting into it. It's taking hold of me. I can no longer get away from it. The Jewish question is haunting me. It is so dangerous. Anti-Semitism has repercussions which will affect the whole world. As he plunged into the study of the European literature of the 19th and 20th centuries, William discovered a dark, creeping power working underground in the European mind. It was a new form of anti-Semitism, which did not treat Judaism as a religion, but sought to condemn it on the principle of racism. Jews are an inferior race, proclaimed the French and the German historians, philosophers, and scientists. The stage was being set for the most massive assault on the Jewish people in the history of the world. These discoveries began to deeply affect William's inner life. He soon became known for his sermons about the Christian's responsibility towards the Jews and the organic unity of the Old and New Testaments. His prophetic messages usually went over the heads of the average churchgoers, where the scope of vision did not reach far beyond the towers of Yultrek they could see from their village. When William's writings on the subject were published, they immediately drew the attention of the Dutch Society for Israel, founded in 1861 in Amsterdam. They recognized William's deep concern for Israel's plight. William received an urgent call. Would he consider entering into special service as a missionary to the Jewish people in Amsterdam? A new subject for prayer was dispatched to the Bartoljolerstraat in Harlem. The whole family realized that this would be a great turning point in William's life. It would mean giving up the relatively stable financial security of the parsonage, for which Teen called the shaky instability of a little-known society, and exchanging the official position of a pastor for a difficult-to-define job as a missionary. William was already too far involved to run away from his true calling. 
At this time, a letter from his father helped to tip the balance. September the 14th, 1925. My dear children, I want to let you know that we are sharing in your experience with all our hearts and our prayers are continually mounting to God's throne for his guidance and blessing for you. If this is God's way, there are several noteworthy facts. My father, who was a great admirer of da Costa, was a lifelong member of the Dutch Society for Israel. A portrait of da Costa hung in our living room for as long as I can remember. A large number of workers for the cause of Israel has visited our home. When I lived on the Rapenburg in Amsterdam, I often used to speak to the Jews about the Messiah. But all this is not the main thing. The most important matter is that for many years you have had a great love for the Hebrew language and now, through your response to the present wave of anti-Semitism, you have discovered in yourself a special love for God's people. So I do hope it will come about and that you will not only be blessed in this work, but be a blessing and that you will also find fulfillment and satisfaction in it. A new period began in William's life. The Society for Israel insisted that he be well prepared for his work, and it was decided that he would take off one year for further study at the Institute of Judaicum in Leipzig, Germany. He had to leave his beloved teen and four small children to become a student again. The city of Leipzig must have had a very special fascination for William with his love for Bach music. Besides, he was now in the hub of Germany's cultural life, an excellent place for him to study the subject that had already captivated him. His friends urged him to work it into a doctoral thesis. Teen wrote in her diary, My husband, who had no ambition about doctorate, allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him to venture out into preparing a thesis. It was a difficult undertaking. Between times of study, he had to give himself to his work and his family. But God blessed, and in 1928, William received his degree of Doctorate of Philosophy. Vast opportunities now lay before him. Identifying the Monster I was holding in my hand a little black book from the old chest. Its cover is warped and the binding cracked as I open the yellow pages. The lengthy title is The Birth of Modern Racial Antisemitism in France and Germany. It is William's doctoral thesis. William began his studies on the subject in 1925. Germany was in deep turmoil, and the First World War had left the country impoverished, confused, and split by inner factions. Marxism had failed to fulfill the expectations of the working class. The world revolution it had promised had not taken place. Instead, there was anarchy, weakness, and vacillation in the government. The country was sinking into moral decay. At the same time, in the basement of the disillusioned German nation, the elements were being prepared, which would lead to the one of the starkest paradoxes of history. An Australian painter would, some eight years later, take the reins of this sophisticated nation, and within a dozen more years, he would lead it to utter ruin, causing the deaths of untold millions, among them six million Jews. When William was writing his book in Leipzig, Adolf Hitler was in prison, dictating Monkoff, the book that contained the basis of his national socialistic revolution. William wrote to Teen, I expect that in a few years' time there will be worse programs than ever before. Countless Jews from the East will come across the border to seek refuge in our country. We must prepare for that situation. 
This vision was going to pursue him for the rest of his life and propel him into preparing Holland's Christians for the coming events. From the pulpit and with his pen, William was going to warn the Dutch. Large-scale operations for rescuing Jews had to be organized. His own home had to be prepared for receiving the refugees. The events of the following years only proved how correct he had been in this vision. Between pastor's study and marketplace, William became a prolific writer. He was not an outstanding speaker, but through his books he found an outlet for the message that burned in his heart. All his books, now no longer available, were related to the subject of Israel, and they contributed much to the better understanding of the Old Testament and God's plan for his people. However, William was well aware of the danger of becoming a bookworm, a theoretician, fleeing from life's reality in the remoteness of a quiet study. He needed contact with people. His work with the Society of Israel called for his spending a few days every week in the marketplace of Amsterdam's Jewish quarter. He had lively discussions there with the Jews from all walks of life, distributed Bibles and literature, and witnessed to everyone who would listen to what he told about the Messiah. Following the Ten Boom tradition, William's house was open to everybody in need. The name of the house was Theodosian, which means gift of God. It was surrounded by a large property which allowed plenty of possibilities for expansion. William had a vision of spacious center where hospitality to the needy would be a part of his ministry. Teen often suppressed a sigh when more and more plates were added to the long table in the dining room while household finances were constantly low. But William's optimistic faith in God's provision helped to turn the tide. He would answer Teen's worried comments by saying, Enough for today. Promises for tomorrow. What more do we need? Years later, my nephew Peter was visiting a synagogue in the suburb of Tel Aviv with a friend. At the end of the service, his friend introduced Peter to a Dutch Jew who had also attended. Do you happen to know the name Tinboom? The Jew asked. He told that he had been hidden in William's house during the Nazi occupation. When the Gestapo came, he added, I hid under the floor of Dr. Tinboom's study. When the soldiers came in, he started to scold them for disturbing his sermon preparation. The soldiers were intimidated by the self-confident manner and left him alone. Your uncle saved my life. And that's chapter 9, and we'll have chapter 10. It says, Father and I. And uh, I'll see you next time. And love you. I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.